The Pro Plus Capo is the first Dario offering to feature FlexFit technology, a naturally responsive silicone formula that mimics the action of a human finger fretting a string. With the Dario Pro Plus Capo, every string rings clear, clean, and in tune. Chris Keys for From Your Guitar. I'm joined today by Marco, or Marcos, depending on where you are in the world. Marco Garcia from Here Lies Man. Marco, how you doing, man? Pretty good, man. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time, and you got this beautiful setup behind us, and, and you're known for your fuzz tones, as we heard in. But uh, I see you're flanked by a bunch of amps, and <laughs> I know that you're always kind of changing things up. But before we go anywhere there, Let's just talk about guitars, because typically people with the band that you're we're referring to here with your setup, Here Lies Man, is kind of a Les Paul band for you, and, and you're a Les Paul guy, but talk to me about the one that you're playing right now and why that one's your sweet baby. So this is um, a reissue of, I think, a 68 Triburst um, color, which is kind of what I fell in love with, and... I was uh, watching this guitar on eBay years ago, and the guy wanted too much money for it. So I don't know how long it was up there, but I put in a bid that I didn't think he was going to go for, and he did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he did, and then I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, because like, I'm always tracking gear. You know, I'm like always following different things and um yeah that was the one that was like so your watch list is always full there's many watch lists like across the different platforms <laughs> of yeah where you could buy things yeah and i don't even necessarily it's not even like i'm necessarily trying to buy that thing it's just kind of i'm it's like gives me the price range you know i can see what where, where the low end is and obviously the high end is the stuff that i don't even watch because it's like this guy's crazy so how long have you had this one this one i think i've had maybe like seven years and i swapped out the pickups um put bare knuckles with the uh, toaster top covers people think ask me if they're like filter trons or something but they're bare knuckle humbuckers the juggernauts um I put them in a bunch of the guitars. Just fell in love with them. The war pegs I love too. They're on the, the Orville over there. Well, I was curious because I know that that maybe your experimentation with bare knuckles started with the Ibanez PF400, and then the Gibsons. At least to my knowledge, you kind of always kept in the 490 to 498 family. So, so what bring what brought you to the full bare knuckle assault? If it may be. <laughs> well, I tried the war pegs, and I put them in the Orville. And because that was kind of like the road guitar, because I didn't want to take this guy. Um, I mean, I do, but you know, then one, I fell in love with the War Pigs, and 
I don't know. I mean, I'm all also experimenting with different pickups. I just put a Lindy Fralin Silent P90 in another Les Paul that I have at home right now, and um, it's awesome. <laughs> They're great. So you don't really subscribe, like you kind of won't, I guess, make a, a definite decision in terms of like, this is what this guitar is always going to have. And you sound like a, a tinkerer when it comes to your sound and, and your setup. Yeah. I mean, you should talk to my guitar tech, Jason Sirocco, because he, I, we just, he's so supportive and I'm like, what if we try <laughs> this? And then we, you know, we just, um, we just go back and forth. I give him stuff and we try it out and, you know, decide whether it works or not. Um, Cause like I also love super distortions um, on the bridge. I got a few guitars with super distortions on the bridge. Um, yeah, the last thing we did together was actually do a, like a bass roll off instead of the on the tone knob. Instead of it being a treble bleed, it's kind of like a bass bleed to kind of thin out. Cause that's really, I mean, I when we start talking about the pedals, it's like I'm always trying to mess with dial in the exact frequencies that I want to hear. And obviously that changes from room to room, how the cab sounds and, you know, whether it's a hollow stage and, you know, there's so many variables, it's like really helps to be able to dial it in. But I figured if we put a bass bleed on the tone knob, that would help. Um, haven't played any shows with it yet, but, and that's not on this guitar, that's on a different one, but yeah, I'm a tinkerer, you know, or I'm having, Jason Tinker for me. <laughs> is it something that you're is it something you're still trying to track down in your head the sound that you want to achieve or is it you're just fascinated by new gear and the I guess the open possibility that any type of alteration to your setup can possibly provide. It's a moving target. You know, like whenever I feel like I yeah. got it then I'm like, well, because it just depends on the project. So I do lots of different things. I feel like for Here Lies Man, I've really gotten a lot closer to what I wanted originally and was, you know, went down the rabbit hole of fuzz pedals. And I don't really use fuzz pedals anymore. Because um, that turned out to be, and I love them, but it just wasn't the thing, you know. Um, so it's evolving. But... I feel like more comfortable, especially with the last record, kind of like, yeah, that's what I wanted it to sound like, you know? With regard to the fuzz thing, was it what, I mean, maybe we can talk about this as your pedal board later, but what was the thing that deterred you from continuing down that fuzz hole? Too much compression. That's really what it is. Too much compression um, is kind of like too blunt of an instrument for what I wanted to do, and in the end, um, I just really want to hear the the power stage, power tube saturation. That's really what I want to hear. And there's obviously compression there, but it's not just like complete square wave, you know. And what else should we know about this guitar that you're currently holding? You have, uh, I know that you play, you're a fan of flat wounds. You've always played those, or at least you've played them for quite some time. I always will, man. It's part of your sound, obviously. Yeah, I always will. Is it like a tendency because you don't like how like uh, maybe fresh or new strings, or is it just literally you don't like how round wound versus the flat one sounds or feel, I guess? I mean, the main thing is the squeakiness. That squeakiness when you're moving up and down the fretboard, you know. Um, 
I don't have that issue. And I don't know. I just got used to playing flat wounds, and that's what feels right. And they're darker, and I generally prefer like more of a darker, you know, I prefer a darker sound. So, um, you know, the one thing that has changed since the last time I talked with Premier Guitar was uh, I went down to 10s instead of 12s. And that's been kind of interesting. I wasn't expecting to ever do that, but I watched like a Rick Beato video and he did like a comparison of all the string gauges. And I'm like, part of my issue with the 12 gauge was like a little too much woofiness in the neck. Hence the idea for the bass roll off. Mm. But with the tens, that's mitigated a bit. You know, you listen to like nines or eights and it's just like, oh, that's that sound. But I would just rip through that so i can't and they don't make super light gauge flat wound either so i would try it because why not right um is there anything else we should know about this guitar or do you want to talk about any of the ones on the wall yeah um well this one i mean it's yeah this is kind of my baby so i don't know what else to tell you um yeah i mean at some point she's probably gonna have different do tour with it i do i do um yeah, and of course, you know, everyone, she's, she gets babied, so. Um, but yeah, at some point, I'm going to switch <laughs> the pickups and try something different just because. Um, yeah, so I haven't set up a reverb store, but I probably should because I have lots of stuff I can probably sell to get other stuff. Um, this one is the newest addition. I traded a bunch of gear for a Bill Kelleher Explorer, which is pretty sweet. It's yeah. It's beautiful. And the finish, it's kind of like a gold, it's kind of a gold burst. It's a really interesting guitar. It's got Nitro Hemis, um, which is a completely different tonal palette. It's It feels so full range but kind of flat it's not like it's not heavily mid-ranged voiced or anything um this would actually be a great candidate for the bass roll off in the neck um yeah um just really kind of getting to know her but she you know she feels great and like i said i'm just like getting i never had an explorer before so um i just kind of fell in love with the finish and then something about it just grew on me and I brought in a bunch of amps to trade and traded for this because I was watching this across all the platforms like for this model um, I just like bound necks you know and this one had the bound neck and body which I really mm -hmm. appreciate and the trapezoid inlays I don't know it's fancy it's a little fancy you know? What about the weight of it? I know that that's something you've, you've mentioned in a Premier Guitar to uh, interview is that you, you you feel a guitar for you has to have some weight to it. Yeah, for sure. Um, this one's, I, I haven't weighed it, but this one feels substantial. I'd say it's probably like a little around or a little over eight pounds. I think that's probably the threshold for me, you know? It's like eight to 10 pounds. <laughs> it's a lot of, my shoulder doesn't <laughs> necessarily appreciate it, but um, I don't know. Yeah, it's something about the like, the heft of it that feels good. This one feels good for sure. And what about SGs? I know you flirted with SGs before, and even with uh, your other band, Antibalas, is like, I know that you've played SGs. Is it, 
Is that like an on again and off again romance? So since the last time I talked, <laughs> I ended up buying another SG, <laughs> selling one and then buying one. Then I went to Future Music here in LA and I saw my old guitar on the wall that I had sold to Jack and I was just like, and then, and I bought a different one from, uh, what's his name, Michelle, Michelle Buble or Michael Buble, what's his name? His guitar player, I bought it up from him. Um, and it's got the coil taps, so I was like, all right. If I use it with the coil taps, it would actually be really good for anti-ballast and touring, and it's light, and then my shoulder will be, feel better. So it's an on and off again thing, man. Because like, when I saw my old guitar on the wall, I was like, what if I re-bought that one and then just put Curtis Novak DeArmond replicas in that? Then it could have this whole, it could be the whole recording guitar yeah, it's an ongoing saga with me and the SGs. With your, with your gear and especially with SGs, it's almost like you, you can see the possibility. You don't know how you're going to get there, but you, you can yeah, forecast I, in a positive manner. Yeah, I think at some point I'm going to dial in the thing that I want it to sound like. And I don't know. We'll see. I got to see if Curtis Novak will make humbucker-sized DeArmond replicas for me, so... Curtis, if you're hearing this. <laughs> I, I bet he's up to the challenge. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about the other, uh, I see another Les Paul custom on the wall, and then uh, I believe uh, the aforementioned Ibanez PF400. Yeah, so this guy. Oh, man. This thing feels like it weighs 11 pounds. It's a little, put on a little pandemic weight. Um, no, she's always been, she's always been. <laughs> I think we all have. Yeah, no, so. <laughs> This was such a, such a find. I was just telling Jeff um, yesterday, we were on tour in Edmonton, and I think it was maybe even like, was that the second Here Lies Man show we played? We went, yeah, we played a show. Our second show was in Edmonton. Um, and I was watching this on eBay, and it was just the body, no pickups. I don't even think it had pots. It had the bridge and the tailpiece, but nothing else. And well, and the tuning heads, but um, and the binding was all messed up, like it was flaking off. And I was like, someone will be able to do rebind that. I didn't realize that that's a much taller order when when it's already finished, right? So um, I got a super great deal on this. It was ridiculously cheap. I don't know why, but um, I locked it in. We were getting ready to go back to the airport. This is the day after the show, and I'm like standing outside of the hotel, like trying to sniper this guitar on eBay. And I got it. I was like, ah. the funny thing is, like, I didn't even really have that much money in my bank account. It was just kind of like, I have to have this, and the price is too good. And then Jason Soraco at Future Music. I don't know what kind of magic he did, but he filled in all the binding because apparently these guitars have some kind of, um, the binding oxidizes and starts flaking off on some of them. And he was able to patch it all up and super glue it. It looks, I mean, it looks interesting. It works for me though. This was also my tour guitar for a while. Um, I don't know why Gibson stopped putting the volutes on the back of the neck, but this is a lifesaver, you know? Um, it just feels like a real, 
guitar, uh, which is, that's really the thing, the, the saga with when it, when, when does it feel like real? You know, I think it's part of it is the weight too. Uh, is this like, do you know what year this is? Because uh, I'm not familiar with Ibanez's legacy of like the single cut models, but I know that obviously with them and other Japanese companies, they've had the lawsuit era guitars. Is that one of those yeah. ones? This has got to be post lawsuit okay. because they added this extra little bit on the top. I mean, everything else. I mean, it, mm. yeah. As far as I can tell, uh, and from what I've read, yeah, once they... Because I think the original lawsuit Ibanez ones were bolt-on. This is set neck, so... Um, and it used to have a... Um, they typically come with, like, a coil tap switch here. But I had him... I had Jason put in a master volume. I used to have a Guild X500 with a uh, jazz box with a master volume. And I loved it because... When you're in the middle position, to dial in like the right volume is kind of a pain. Uh, when you're when you're basically working with two volumes, so I had him put like a master volume. But I think in the future, maybe this will be the bass roll-off knob. Who knows? So you you probably had it for a few years because I know uh, the first record came out in 2017. So yeah. kind of ballparking it, you've had it two or three years. Cool. I'd say yeah. This is I've had it like three. And what about the other? No, Sorry, I've, I've had it about three, I think. Yeah. Okay. Unless somebody knows that the date okay, of that cool. of that show we played, and then, you know, it was like a couple weeks after that. But yeah, now, yeah, I mean, we're we've become <laughs> pretty close. I gotta say, because I this was as soon as we started going on the road, this is the one that I played that I took with me. To kind of divert to like a recording question, uh, I know that this is a live setup kind of show, but. Is this something you would use on like on ritual divination, or is it you stick to kind of that that Les Paul we first saw? It was a mix. I used I think three guitars on that. Um, okay. So I'll show you the Orville. As you're grabbing that, Marco, I I did not know that there was a such thing as Orville by Gibson, and I had something come up. Maybe it was another rig rundown, but I didn't know that these were Japanese-made guitars. Yeah. to sponsor the Gibson logo in in Japan to counter counteract the lawsuit stuff. So I didn't even know there was a run of electric guitars called Orville by Gibson. Yeah. Um, and so I was in Tokyo with Antibalas and me and uh, Timmy James, the other guitar player, were I, we <laughs> just running the all the stores because I was specifically looking for an Orville by Gibson not just the Orville, but the by Gibson, because by my research, I was like, that's the one to get. And they're like a thousand bucks for a custom, you know, with all the appointments and stuff. This one was built in the Tirada factory, which I think made really excellent guitars. And I have to say, like, this guitar, I love this guitar. This is the other tour guitar, and this is the one I put the War Pigs in. There's nothing I would change, but the neck feels super, it's like very playable. It feels, it feels a little less hefty. It feels a little smaller, like the radius of it feels a little smaller too. Um, yeah, it's, they're great. Yeah, it's, it's, I've never was obviously in New York City uh, t to see the music rule that people talk about in the yesteryear life, but um, myself and Perry, our videographer, went to Japan last year 
and that was probably the closest thing I got to see it. But I got to run up and down those streets as well, kind of going in the guitar stores. And yeah. Obviously, seeing the Japanese originals, mm -hmm. Ibanez and all that stuff. But man, it was I was blown away by how much of the stuff that uh, that you're saying there, the Orville and uh, the Tokai, all that yeah. stuff. Greco. Yeah, no, and they're those great. stores are just lined up. You can just run in and out. It's crazy. Yeah, no, they're and they're I, I mean, I played a few, but yeah, when I finally, because it was like the last story we went to, went upstairs and I'm like, looking around, and I'm like, ding, and there were two, but this one felt, this one felt right, so, I nabbed it while I could because they're hard to find here. I mean, I've kind of, I feel like they've been appearing more, but. It's not like they're not easy to find and just kind of seize the moment, you know? Did you have any issues bringing that over here out of, out of curiosity just because of the different lawsuits and litigation that's up on these things? Or is it kind of you just paid for it and brought it home? Pretty much. I mean, I went there with, I don't remember what I was playing, so I had to fly, I flew back with two guitars and that one came with like a chipboard type of case. So, yeah, I mean, it... I didn't give me any issues. Well, right on. It, it, now I think this would be a good time to kind of pivot to amps and then go right into pedal board if sure. you want to get your uh, number one sixties Les Paul and we'll we'll start talking amps. I'm so glad you want to talk about amps because most people's eyes start to roll in the back of their head when I get talking about amps. Um, it's they're one of my like obsessions. I'm curious because I know that you're a huge fan or a devotee of the Ampeg V4. And obviously those are hard to come by currently uh, with Ampeg not putting them in production. So how do you achieve that on a live setup? Because I know that you use them in recording, or at least you had. You know. Because I see a wall of amps around you right now. And we, I'm curious how this is all going. Yeah, we, I broke up with the Ampeg V4. We broke up. We're no longer together. Wow. Yeah, we're no longer together. <laughs> um, Can you talk about it? Or is it a bad break? This is like painful memories, but honestly, the thing is, they're so finicky. They're so finicky, right? And they're not, they're, they're expensive to repair. And I had m several, and I've sold all of them except for the one. So we're not totally broken up, but... Um, uh, because they're great for pedals. They're the, a great pedal platform, and that's what I was using. But as I evolved, we just grew apart, really. That's what happened. We grew apart. <laughs> it happens. Yeah, it happens. And it, it, there's still love. It's just, you know, we're just not together anymore. All right, Marco, what about these new friends? How are they filling the void of the V4? So what I discovered when I, when I really started to hone in, and I got to say... Jeff, the drummer from Here Lies Man, was, you know, our conversations uh, in mixing stuff and, like, I, he would be my guinea pig as I'm trying out different things, you know. His feedback was, I think, really helpful, too, because when I really realized, like, what does the actual power section of the amp sound like? Like, and really started to be able to discern what that is, then it was like, oh... And we did a tour in Europe, and it had a, I, we backlined an orange rocker verb, and I was like, I don't really need to do much to get that to sound like what I want, you know. Um, I like where the mid range is positioned, but 
We'll talk more about the mid range later because that's this for me is it's, that's that the thing that's kind of sli like a slightly moving target and it just depends on the room I'm in, right? So I kind of fell in love with the rocker verb. This is the Mark III. Um, the fact that it has a built-in attenuator was really great for Jeff because he was always telling me to turn down so I could get that power section sound um, at a more reasonable, I'm not going to say it was reasonable, and I'm sure Jeff wouldn't say it was reasonable either, but it helps. Um, yeah, and then mm -hmm. me being me, it was like, you know, this sounds great, but it would just sound even better if there was like another amp to complement it. And then I started touring with two heads and two cabs, you know, uh, instead of a 412, two 412s, which becomes just ridiculous after a while when you're loading in and out of venues and trying to fit it all in a van. Uh, so I went down to the 212s, but then that led me down the speaker rabbit hole, and that's a whole different conversation. But um, I started testing amps for high watt freelance uh, because they endorse Antibalas. And I heard the super high, which I think Mike Fortin had a hand in designing, and it's just, it rips, you know, and the mid-range is voiced a little differently, so I think it's closer to 1K. Um, and then, so when I put these together, the sound feels so much fuller, and I get kind of like these two mid-range peaks that actually feels really satisfying it doesn't do clean the super high doesn't really do clean it definitely breathes fire and i'm just on channel one which is the cleaner of it's not the less dirty let's call it the less dirty of the two do you know what tubes tubes are in the high watt because i imagine the orange they're probably el 34 uh, they're they're both but what are in the high watt el 34s for sure yeah, I'm very particular to okay. that's what I want to hear is EL34s now, also because of the mid-range profile. That's, yeah, that feels good. I mean, it's not like I don't like 6L6s. I do, but... You're so specific about, like, your sound and detailing it. Are you specific about tubes, or do you let the stock tubes just be what they are, whatever, you know, the company puts in there? Um, do you have, like... Muller 30, you know, 34s or old stock yeah. NLS tubes and stuff. No, I, I, that's a good question. And I'm fully capable of becoming obsessed with the actual tubes, whether they're Mullards or, but I, I haven't gone down that rabbit hole because even I know that there's needs to be these limits. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, they've got JJs. JJs are what, my amp tech uses and so they're good i I, mean, I leave it at that because if i start digging i know what's going to happen um i don't need i don't need to go gotta, there yet you gotta have guardrails yeah for sure but i what i was going to say is about the speakers oh yeah yeah sorry we'll get to the speakers yeah so this this is caleb barton's uh company which was called bridge city sound and that model's called the Steel Bridge. He since 
folded that company and started Barton High Voltage, um, which he's been prototyping amps for. And um, what I can tell you, and I've told Caleb, is that this is the loudest 50-watt amp mankind has ever known. I mean, it's, it's loud, plenty loud to be a bass amp. It's got a clean and a dirty channel. We modified the original tone stack was kind of Soldano-esque, but I had him switch it to a little bit more Marshall-y tone because I'd like to, and yeah, I like to combine the orange and the Marshall and the high watt depending on how I'm feeling. Like, like I said, the mid, where the mid-range sits is slightly different, so when you put two of them together, it feels fuller to me. Well, it's fuller sonically for sure, just even volume-wise, but um, it's more pleasing when there's like two kind of mid-peaks that you can kind of balance together, you know? Um, but that thing is devastating. <laughs> it's like completely devastating. And um, <laughs> I told Caleb that honestly, it's difficult to play in any space that has four walls because it's so powerful and it is so loud. It's, it's really, if you just want volume, like nobody makes a louder amp than, than Caleb Barton. So um, my best experience of this was playing outdoors at levitation through um, a, t a high watt 210 bass cabinet. It was just a huge sounding. Wow. It, was, it was awesome. That with the orange, it was like, Fantastic. So, uh, how are the are these all three running at the same time? No, there has to be limits, Chris. No, when, there when, have to be live. limits. No, there have to be limits. No, okay. I, I wasn't gonna do that to Jeff. Um, <laughs> but I would probably do that. Yeah, I would probably do it when at a different point, just to just to see. I mean, honestly, I these are the high watt is, you know one of the loudest amps too and that's still the truth for the super high um but barton high voltage has got that locked in so um yeah so what have we been hearing so far today? so yeah Was so just the orange and the high just the orange and the high watt and i can switch them out at some point and you can hear um the last thing i just wanted to say is like uh for me the speakers are part of the rabbit hole too, right? And I know people like V30s and all that kind of stuff. I, I really only like V30s if there's four of them. Um, that's my preference, you know, and lower, lower wattage. Why is that? Um, I swapped out the orange cab stock speakers for EVM uh, 12s. And... Um, yeah, just because it's it's got the chunk. Why do you only like the selections in a four twelve? For the lower wattage speakers, because then the, the then the speaker breakup sounds pleasant to my ear. But if if you're running like a hundred watt cab on a two twelve with the V thirties, I always make the, I always make them clip in a not the most pleasing way. So it's kind of like a square wave kind of sound mm -hmm. that I don't. It's not, it's not that like creamy when you have lower wattage Celestians, it's like the classic sound. I feel like, well, that's why Jim Marshall made a 412, right? Cause 
I think the original ones were like 25 watts or something. So in order to handle the actual output from the amplifier, and that's super pleasing to the ear, but um, yeah, I just kind of like, like the Eminence Deltas, the EVM-12s, and the, uh, the Hi-Watt has like a new speaker that they put in called Octopulse, which are kind of like Fane meets with some kind of Celestian flavor. I'm not exactly sure, but it's a very, like Fane's, it's like a very full range speaker that also feels paired, like it pairs well with the, with the super high. And on top of it is the, they're going to release like a PCB version at some point, And that's a prototype of the custom shop amp. And I think that's going to be a great, a great addition to the market for sure. <laughs> well, man, I, I'd love to hear more of this rig. So let's do that by talking about your pedals and just kind of walk me through everything. Because like you said, I'm curious to know how you're doing things and you may very well have a fuzz pedal to cover the older material, but maybe not. So just talk to me about the evolution of your pedal board, Marco. I ended up setting up two pedal boards. I'm going to just get down here to talk about it. So I ended up setting, two, setting up both pedal boards that I would normally use. I don't ever use them at the same time. The first one is kind of like if we're flying, it's a small pedal board. It's carry-on. And it's just got like what is most essential for me because depending on the backline that's been requested, um, obviously a TU3 Boss tuner. I feel like that's the standard, right? Um, Q-Strip Tech 21 Parametric EQ. I don't. I th it might be kind of like a preamp. I, pe I, I feel like people use it for acoustics, but this this has the two mid focus like the two frequency mid frequency knobs as well as low and high which is kind of what turned me on to i mean it was it using the two different amps kind of it is mirrored in this pedal in that you can have two different mid peaks and get like a really throaty kind of sound so the tech 21 is indispensable and just depending on the space I'm in, it's just like I might be boosting somewhere between seven and 800 and just kind of fine tuning where that is um, for that extra, so cutting through kind of throaty sound and then for a little more guttural throaty sound, a little lower, closer to like, just dip, like I said, depending on the room and the amp and the cabinet, somewhere between 400 and 600 hertz. Um, and then in the chain... Is that something you keep on all the time? Or is that just for certain parts? I mostly keep it on all the time. Yeah. It just depends on the song, though. I mean, I will be like, okay, I need to just change the palette a little bit in this moment. And then... I mean, I will say I will equally use the Laney, well, Black Country Customs TI Boost. It's kind of like their recreation of Tony Iommi's treble boost. Um, and it's fantastic. I mean, it's got a three-way toggle for whether you want low mid boost or flat mid range or kind of a hot, more of a high end boost. Um, 
as well as like a low and high knob. It's got a, you know, gain and volume knobs. So it's, it's, I would say if I just had to take one pedal, that would probably it because it, it it's, it's got enough, um, gain and just even in the volume, not even just on like, it's got enough volume on tap that I can really boost the power section of any amp I'm playing through, except except yeah. except maybe a dr103 because that has got like such high headroom but um yeah uh then it's like a dunlop mini wah which is super helpful um i forget the what the model of the mini ones is but it's got the little you can set the cue and it's got a boost switch on the side um and they're they're fantastic i have the full size one but like i said this is like fly fly dates pedal board um now for wah you're i don't know correct me if i'm wrong marco are you using the wall like in a traditional sense where you're kind of you know throwing it back and forth or are you using it more in like a cocked wah mick ronson jerry cantrell thing yeah i will i will you know express on the wah for like solos and stuff, stuff okay. that I wouldn't necessarily do on the record. I mean, I do use wild on the record, but on the records, but um, yeah, it's more for live. Uh, yeah, because it just really helps break gotcha. up the dynamic of things, especially when you're soloing. You know, pretty classic stuff. Um, then it's followed by an MXR carbon copy. Um, to me, it's just that's probably one of the it's the standard for like an affordable analog delay pedal. I mean, I remember when they came out and I was so excited cause I couldn't, when I was younger, I couldn't afford a memory man. And then they came out with like a million different va variations on that. And it was super confusing and none of them sounded like the original, you know? Um, and it's huge. Yeah. They're fantastic. I mean, and it kind of made me feel like, what was the original boss that was it a dm2 or what was i mean i couldn't afford those when i was a kid either so when i got the carbon copy i was like yeah this is this is it um anyway and then it's followed by a tc electronic hall of fame because it's obviously super versatile and it's a small footprint um and then usually if i have space i'll keep another extra couple pedals just in case something goes wrong with and you know either the Tech 21 or the TI Boost to have the um, <clears throat> the Boss FB2 feedback feedbacker booster. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I'd done a little research and I saw a booster and I'm like, hmm. And it does. It's got a sweepable mid-range, which again, I'm obsessed with dialing in the mid-range and that does that um really well the other parametric eq is the wd wmd what is this even called the model utility parametric eq i don't know what the model is but um you know totally parametric low mid high it just got one mid frequency but when you run this at a higher dc voltage it's it sounds incredible 
Um, it goes up to 24 with volts, which I don't have, but eight at 18, it sounds really good too. So, um, yeah, so that's the fly date pedal board. Otherwise the other pedal board is if we're driving and space isn't as much of an issue and the first position might change, but for now I'm using the Stone Def PDF2. Same thing, parametric, mid-range. You can change the size of the cue. You can sweep the frequency. It's got a clean, dirty channel. I mostly just use the clean because amp is handling the dirty, followed by the orange two-stroke, another mid-range slash boost pedal. So basically... You know, I'll set the mid-range slightly differently for each, depending on just what I want to feel in that moment, right? And then, uh, it's totally redundant, to be honest with you. I mean, <laughs> it's all different variations of the same concept. The orange backspan guitar, parametric, pre-EQ. Um, it's just kind of, because, like, I, you know, if you're playing festivals or whatever situation where you don't necessarily know what amp you're going to get you know um it gets that orange sound it's got the the uh backs and doll eq and you sweep the mids and it's just super versatile you know it's it gets you the dirt it sounds yeah it sounds like an orange in a box um could we hear some of these so they're great for differences i don't know there's yeah. Between yeah, between like the mid range sure. stuff um, and the, these boosts and pair EQ stuff. Yeah, I would start with honestly, I would start with the Tech Twenty One because that's kind of like the thing that I gravitate to a lot because I love that it has the double mid range. Um, You know, throaty, it's, I made it kind of a little snarlier today, but um, compare that with like the, the backspan guitar. They're actually kind of set similarly, to be honest with you. This is the two-stroke. Uh, then the PDF. I'm not sure where where this is going to come in. But. It's all kind of similar, but it, the mid-range just kind of shifts, you know, depending on which one I'm pressing. Before we go but, any further, how are you wiring? Are they, are they just hitting the orange? Or are they splitting and hitting both amps? Or how, how is that 
routing from your guitar this is a good to the pedals to the amp? This is a good question. This is a good question. So what I do, I have not found a splitter pedal that has either two transformers or where there's like isolation from the two channels. Like there's always a hum that happens, right? 60 cycle hum, 60 hertz cycle. So what I found and the reason why I have it on both pedal boards is that the Hall of Fame, because it has stereo outs, that's how I split the signal to, to route it to two different amps. I don't need a splitter pedal because I'm not toggling between amps. It's always one sound, um, kind of like a dual dual mono essentially. But for whatever reason, when you go out of the Hall of Fame, stereo left and right, there's minimal. There's not any kind of hum really, unless the ground in the building. How did you find that solution? Because um, I had one that I was using for the keyboard rig, and I tried it on the guitar. Because uh, before that, I was playing the um, the Eventide Space, which is just I love, and I use it on all all the records. But it takes up so much real estate on the pedal board that I was like, I need to find a smaller thing that does a really huge washy delay. And then yeah, when I when I took the you know both lines out into two different amps, it's like there's no hum, and I was like, that's it, that's the solution. Um, yeah, and the the final part of the kind of main pedal board was is the Tumnus Deluxe, the Wampler Tumnus. Um, because he's got this like active, I don't know if it's active, but the mid range on it is is fantastic. You really, it really cuts through, um, and it's kind of like a clon, but like a souped up clon kind of concept. I, I love that one. Um, then you were saying, do I have a fuzz on here for older stuff? I do, and this one is made by a friend of mine named Aisha Lowe. And it's a super fuzz that she actually gave to my friend Matt and he gave it to me because he wasn't using it and um, yeah it's kind of like a more versatile take on the classic super fuzz and I've had a few and this one actually I really like how the mid-range sits in that I mean you can scoop it too but um, yeah it's just very well made Could we hear the tumness? Yeah yeah <laughs> And the, the fuzz, like, on and off with everything So going. this is the Tumnus. I have it set maybe a little thin. I would probably... Well, maybe it's because I have headphones in. Um... And then the low super fuzz. That, you get that splattiness that is so great about the super fuzz, but it's like full and I don't know, it just kind of sounds like a 
an, an amp that's melting down, <laughs> you know, if you've ever tried to make an amp melt down, which I have, and unfortunately, they're expensive once they melt down to fix, but um, yeah, so... Yeah, it's got that nasty, splatty. Obviously, like fuzz is always going to be kind of part of the equation with you having to, you know, incorporate your older material and never say never about future material. But what have you enjoyed about kind of going more, I don't want to say meat and potatoes, but more, more just amp and more amp saturation, more amp sustained on this most recent record and kind of where you're at now live setting. Yeah, I mean, you're saying more amp, more saturation, more of all that, more of yeah, I, that's what I say. More amp, more power tube saturation, more cabinets. You know, I. It's such an overwhelming feeling when you can when you're really hearing the power section of a well-made amp because coming through the right speakers, those sound waves like when I'm standing in front of it, and hopefully for the audience, you know, that's the power of rock and roll. It's like the sound waves just like penetrate your body. It's it's a visceral and powerful experience. And I feel like we've all learned now during this pandemic that there's limits to like what you can get from a computer screen and computer audio. Cause the magic is when the sound waves actually penetrate your body. You know, that's that feeling of where it's communicating some universal truth about our existence. And you're conveying that with a piece of wood with some strings on it and some really kind of old technology, valve technology to amplify that through thin copper coils stuck in a piece of wood. It's crazy. But more. Let's do more of that. You know, let's get more <laughs> of that for sure. Is there anything after the fuzz on your pedal board that you want to talk to us about? Yeah. Show off on, after after the super so fuzz? after the super fuzz is the um, what is it? SIB is the brand, the Mister Echo, and um, so we were on tour with Earthless, and Isaiah had not, a not very big pedal board and he just did got the craziest sounds i never heard before um with his delay and i was like i think after the first night i was like what the like what is that and it's it was the mr this one is the mr echo plus and i, I think that's the one that he has i'm pretty sure um i found it at a guitar center on sale and it was used and i was like that's the one so I had to have it. And what is basically, I don't use a lot of modulation in Here Lies Man um, for guitar. So for live, what it's really good for is like the end of a song when we're going into a kind of a cinematic interludal, you know, uh, portion of the set, which we do a couple of times. And it's kind of when I talk to the audience and stuff. And it just provides us like, really textural, rich um, coloration, right? So, like, I used it at the top where I'll basically be, like, um, at the end of a song, I'll be like... Oh. 
It's got the slam switch. The slam switch is what makes this thing magical. And then when I run it through the Hall of Fame, set on like a really huge plate, there's a really long kind of cascading tail. Um, and that kind of sets up when the organ comes in for kind of a more cinematic interlude. You know, it's kind of a way to bridge texturally from the guitar being the focus to the organ being the focus. And then that just like is a thing that I've felt on your music, especially the last record, No Ground to Walk Upon. And, and I got a sneak peek at the new record mm -hmm. that comes out in January, January 21. Uh, if people get this in December right. or January right. 2021, uh, is there is a little bit more space between the riffs and, and leading mm -hmm. into the next song. And obviously in a live environment, it really gets stretched out. But I've noticed that to add to the cinematic, I guess, quality of your guys' music and, and the journey you take people on, that type of spacing has been inserted a lot more in the, la in the latter, later stages of the band. Yeah, and I mean, it's 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 kind of integral to the sound of any of the recordings from the first record and it just got it's just gotten more developed um because i feel like there well there's a couple things going on the concept of the here lies man recordings and when we perform live is this is kind of like the section of the live set where i talk to the audience and i explain like the idea of what we're doing is creating the soundtrack to this imaginary movie, right? And so it's the imaginary movie of how I experience my life and my everyday. And then you as the listener, it's the soundtrack in that moment of these, this imaginary movie that you're experiencing as your life. And then when we are together in the same room, it's like we're co-creating that soundtrack together because it, it's really, how we perform and what happens is being influenced by the audience. And that's a magical thing. And we always want to honor that moment and acknowledge it, you know? Um, so as the recordings, as we kept delving deeper into the landscape of, you know, Here Lies Man, it was like, especially on No Ground to Walk Upon, it's like I really wanted to open up a lot more space for the interludes. Um, just because it kind of gives you a rest from the heaviness and the crunchingness and kind of the, you know, the aggressiveness of the music at different times. Um, yeah, it's kind of like a palate cleanser as well. And it creates the push and pull of the dynamic of tension and release. It makes the heavy more heavy yeah. in a way too, you know, I mean, that's like why Pla Planet Caravan leading into Iron Man is fucking right. badass. Cause it's yeah. like Planet Caravan strippy and then boom, it makes Iron Man right. even heavier. Yeah, I mean, it's the same logic. It's, it's like anything though, when you're playing with the dynamics, it's like when you can be soft, it makes the hard hit that much harder. Agreed, man. So what's uh what's on after Mr. Echo? Just another TC Electronic Hall of Fame. Cause I need to be able to go out of two amps, so it's like no matter what. For splitting? Yeah, and whether I use reverb or not on the gig, it's it that's my splitter. <laughs> so uh, are you using much reverb? Only at the end of a song, really. Uh, for here lies man. And no, I mean that's not true. Okay. Like during an interlude, 
section and in so far away when we're playing it live yeah i use i use reverb yeah for sure i should have asked this way before but uh, i'll do it now just to cross my t's and dot my eyes is what tunings are you playing standard Marco? e standard yeah oh, okay i've been you know is that something you've ever thought about incorporating? Oh, yeah, all the time. But you know what? It's easier to just... Then I'd have to bring, like, a couple of guitars on the road, you know? I, I No, I've been entertaining, like, drop tunings and yeah. um, different tunings for the next record. I mean, the one that's coming out hasn't even come out yet. But I'm already thinking about the next one that we have to record. So um, I've been doing some writing for that. But, you know, I think... I guess I should, should I promise that now? I should probably, <laughs> then I'll, that'll lock me into trying different tunings. <laughs> it's just easier to stay in, in E um, because otherwise, yeah, then I'm, I'm not trying to change the tuning of the guitar in the set. I'm, I have a feeling, knowing just speaking with you briefly today, that I feel like that might be another rabbit hole you'll dive into. Oh, yeah. Into. No, I mean, I already, yeah. There's already a few things that I've been looking at, ethereal tunings that I want to explore, but it's real. It's one thing at a time, one thing at a time. Well, Marco, I appreciate you. And I know Jeff, the drummer who's off camera, but running cameras for us. So I, I appreciate you both hanging out and being safe while you do so. I appreciate it, Thank you it, man. so much, man. And again, and yeah, thank you to Jeff because he's, he's, the, he's the guy coming through with, he's got the, cam the multi-cameras and recording the audio um i none of this none of this stuff and what we're doing um is has would have been possible or is possible without jeff so thank you jeff jeff is a rock and i appreciate him everyone needs to check out the new album ritual divination that comes out in january uh 2021 and uh man keep on rocking keep on getting loud and have fun all right take care